If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Acts chapter 6. All right, we are in a series that we are calling The Not-So-New Way. The Not-So-New Way. We are going through the book of Acts, uh, and we are looking at what the apostles and the early followers of Jesus did after he had ascended to be with the Father. All right, and so far in this series, we've kind of been going through the book of Acts, uh, we didn't, it's what we saw, the disciples, they didn't really seem to know what the plan was. Despite Jesus spending the majority of his time teaching about what the plan was, they still really didn't get it. All right, so when he left, they sort of hunkered down, spent time in prayer, spent time going over scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, and that's a great thing to do when you don't know what is next. Uh, And then last week, we looked at uh, the promise of Jesus being fulfilled of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling inside of them and the empowerment that it gave them to accomplish this new mission that they had. All right, and God, in a miraculous way, he does this reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel, where many languages uh, came about as a result of pride and selfishness and stubbornness. He now kind of brings together all the languages again, miraculously, by the apostles speaking in multiple languages that they didn't know. Uh, and they don't just speak in those languages, but they actually are they're talking in those languages and sharing the good things that God has done. They essentially are getting up and, and preaching in these different languages. And uh, Peter gets up and addresses the whole crowd, shares with them the good news of what Jesus has done, uh, made a new way forward, and it says that 3,000 people were added to the church, to this new movement, to this this group kind of called The Way. All right, and we get this picture of what this new community looks like, and I want to read this. Uh, This isn't our passage for today, but I just, I love this picture that we have here. Acts 2, 42 says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is an amazing picture of a true community that loves each other and looks out for each other and is focused on God's mission. I just kind of love this. And it really makes it seem like things could be different. That's what this whole whole series has been looking at, is that there's a new way to live, a new way forward. Because of what Jesus did. And when we begin to see this community start to take shape here in Acts 2, like you can actually see that. You look at this and you're like, wow, that, that sounds amazing. And it was so countercultural to the way that people lived in that day. All right. And, and then we get this little picture of how the church is facing difficulty. And the difficulty is coming from outside the church, uh, but there's also kind of trouble brewing on the inside. Because even though this is God's new creation, and there's a new way to live, humans are the ones that are moving it forward, which means there is still and always going to be problems. So Peter and John are, are kind of part of this, and they're going out and they, and they heal somebody. I'm going to kind of move through just the next couple chapters quickly here. They heal somebody, and then they explain to everyone watching that this was done through Jesus, and then they get arrested by the religious leaders. But more people believe and are added to the number of followers. 
And that line, you're going to keep seeing that come up, all right? And there are some amazing moments in these stories, but we aren't going to go into them. Uh, Peter and John speak to the leaders that arrested them. They talk about Jesus to them, and they end up getting released. Then it talks again about the whole community is sharing everything that they have with each other. Then you have that wild story of Ananias and Sapphira selling land, lying about it, and dropping dead. Uh, And we talked about that some last week. If that's like, if you've ever read that and you're like, whoa, what is happening? I'd encourage you, go back. Last week we talked about kind of a little bit more of an idea of why this would happen and why it doesn't happen today. Because I know if, if you just, if the consequence of lying was death, we would not have anybody here today. Like, that's just not how that works. And, but it, it happened here, and so go back, catch that last week if you've ever wondered about that. The apostles, they are healing more people, getting arrested and persecuted, and the community is growing, and this just keeps happening. All right, and this brings us to Acts chapter 6. And that's where we're going to be focusing today, just the first seven verses in chapter 6. All right, and we are going to walk through this, and then I have two areas of application for us today. I think both of these uh, can be huge for us. Incredibly important, and I'm excited for this opportunity for us to do this together. All right, so if you are able, uh, would you stand with me? And I know uh, for some of you, it's hard to stand. That's totally fine. You can stay seated. Not a problem. But uh, there's times where it's just good to change our physical posture, whether that's to kind of wake ourselves up again, uh, or just that reminder of like, all right, I want to be ready for this. I want to kind of change where I'm at. So uh, let's just kind of read this together. We're in Acts chapter 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. God, I pray that uh, just in this, this small chunk of passage today, Lord, that, that we would find ways to just be drawn into you more, drawn into your word. God, that we would be challenged, that we would grow through this time. Uh, and Lord, that we just right now would be open to whatever it is that you have to speak to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So what we keep seeing as we read uh, Acts is is this theme of this new movement going forward. Things are changing. uh, And then it kind of keeps saying that. That line keeps coming up. And then it almost goes and does like this cut scene where it gives a specific example of something happening in the early church. And then it comes back and it says, and the community continues to grow. And then kind of another cut scene and, and these different things that are happening. All right, and... It's giving you this idea that whatever happens in that cutscene, whatever is going on in the day-to-day, it doesn't necessarily matter in the sense of, like, it's not going to stop this movement. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's bad, if it's great, all these different things. Like, this movement is going forward. 
Satan is losing ground. Jesus is gaining. Uh, and this is a problem for those that don't want to see this new movement grow. All right? So, okay, I'm, I'm interested in something, and I, I'm going to ask you to participate in something really quickly here. Okay? All you're going to have to do is potentially raise your hand once or twice. And some of you, like, you're already sweating. Like, as soon as I said that, like, the hair on the back of your neck, you're like, oh, no, I, I think I miraculously have to use the bathroom right now. Okay, it's, it's going to be really easy. All right, so first question. How many of you have heard the phrase, divide and conquer? Okay, so that's, that's most of us in here. That's kind of what I figured. Now, I'm curious as to how you have used or understood that phrase before. Okay, so I was talking with Pastor Corey from Sock Center this week about this, uh, and I kind of asked him this question. I said, so how, how have you understood that phrase? He said, well, usually it's in regards to something like needing to get done, and you have a group that can do it, so you kind of look at each other, and you're like, let's split up, and each one of us take care of part of it. Let's divide, and then together we will all conquer this task, right? Like, does that make sense? How many of you guys, that's been your understanding of divide and conquer? And this is me. Like 100%. That's always like, we're in a group like, all right, divide and conquer. Okay, so maybe, maybe some of you knew this. That is not what this means. All right? Uh, it's a military idea that can be seen uh, in strategies of those like Napoleon, Julius Caesar, Philip II of Macedon. Like it dates like way back. Like you're talking like 1-200 BC here. This kind of strategy that they had. And, and the actual use of this strategy, divide and conquer, focuses not on the division of the people that are employing the strategy, but the division of the people that you are coming against. And that probably makes more sense, like, as we think of it, like, oh, yeah, all right. Um, because dividing yourself doesn't make a whole lot of sense outside of, like, chores, right? Uh, it's about causing some sort of division in the people that you are coming against and then driving that division deep and separating them because a smaller group is easier to defeat and rule. All right, so the big difference of this, that, that may sound like the same. You're like, well, we're dividing the task. So it sounds the same, but I think there, there's a difference in the focus of where is the source of the division. Is it inside of you or is it inside of them? And, and when you are attacking somebody, you absolutely want division in them. Okay, why do I bring this up? Because at this point in the book of Acts, God's plan is steamrolling along, and nothing is really stopping it. So if you wanted to stop this new growing movement, what would you do? I think divide and conquer would probably be a great strategy. All right, and Satan wants to divide this close-knit community and drive division as deep as he can. And we see the first major issue to arise in the early church, and it has the potential to divide. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us uh, that the potential divide has to do with ethnic lines being drawn. Like, apparently that's an area where humans have always struggled. We always have. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit more uh, and understand what is going on here. So one of the first things we need to understand is culturally, like at this time, there would not be any type of uh, societal welfare that would be going on. Uh, if you didn't have money or a way of making money, you probably weren't going to make it. Like, th there was a challenge within the Israelites of, like, you need to take care of your parents. Like, that was, that's where this came from. All right, but there, otherwise, if, if, if you lost your way of making money, uh, it was going to be very difficult to live and to move on. 
All right. Now, God cares deeply for all, and he cares and sees those that can't take care of themselves, and he commands his followers to take care of them. And we see this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So for the Jewish people, followers of Jesus, like this wasn't new. If, if they came from a Jewish background, this was not new for them as followers of Jesus. It was a big part of their life. And at this point, the vast majority of the followers of Jesus are from Jewish background. The message has not started to spread yet uh, to Gentiles, that would be non-Jewish people. That's in the chapters to come. But even inside the Jewish community, there were different ethnicities. If you were here last week, we talked about how the, that map that showed where all the Jewish people had been spread out all across this area of the world. And this had been for hundreds of years at this point. Because of the exile, they were spread out. And what we have here is a clash between the local Jewish people, people who were born in this area, lived there kind of their whole life, and Jewish people who were from somewhere else. That's, that's this first big conflict that happens in the church is between these groups. Now, the English translation that we read, uh, it said the Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking group. That actually kind of oversimplifies it a little bit. When you look at other translations, usually it would say more of like the Hellenistic Jews, which would be the Greek-speaking, um, and the Hebraic Jews. Because most likely at this point, uh, probably all of them spoke Greek. Jerusalem was this bigger city. It was always had people coming in and going. They were controlled by the Roman Empire. Like Greek was a pretty common language. So we can't just boil this down to the fact that well, the, they were being overlooked because they didn't speak the same language. So it's like a structural thing here. Nah, there's more to it uh, than just that. All right, there's, there's the ethnic differences and cultural differences. So you have widows from two different groups. Both needing to be taken care of. But one group is getting more attention than the other. And the group that is getting the more attention is the group that is from there. The group that's getting overlooked would be the immigrant population that is coming in from other places. Now, like we said, families were commanded to take care of widows in their own family. But when you joined the family of God, when you became a follower of Jesus, many times you were making a decision to join a new family and at the same time, you are making a decision to leave your family just because of the, what that meant uh, culturally at that time. And that is still the way uh, across the world for a lot of believers. Like we just, we did baptisms not that long ago. And as far as I know, I don't think anybody when they got baptized were like kicked out of their family. All right. But that's a very common thing around the world for people. When you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. All right. So you have this group that they... They've kind of given up their family to become followers of Jesus. All right, they don't have people to take care of them. On top of that, there were some beliefs circulating in that time in the Jewish community that it was better to die in Jerusalem when you got older. All right, so you have older Jewish couples living around the empire, moving back to Jerusalem in their old age. Then husbands or the men would often die first, leaving the wife by herself away from family, maybe already she's been pulled away from family. Uh, so you can see like all of these circumstances happening, how this was ripe for confusion and frustration and division. And that's what I love is the apostles, that's the 12 followers, like the closest followers, it's the 11 plus the one replacement. They don't tell them that like, hey, this isn't real. Like this group that's complaining, just, just be quiet. Yeah, that, nope, that's not actually real. Like, they, they stop, and they listen, 
and they take quick action to remedy it. And when it comes to potential division, you can't let it sit. You need to deal with it quickly and decisively. All right, and the apostles say this is a problem. It needs to be dealt with, but we're not the ones to deal with it directly. And I love this. Like God has given us a specific job that we can't neglect. Now what they aren't saying here is our job is more important, so go find other people to take care of this. What they're saying is both of these jobs are important, but we have been given one of these jobs specifically. So let's find people to do the other one. All right, and that's, that's an important thing to kind of see uh, in this. And so the community then selects seven people to fill this role, and the apostles affirm the selection of these seven men, and the names listed here, uh, they seem to be Greek names. We know at least two of these people are Greek. Uh, they're all Greek names, but that can happen back then. They would have different names when they're working with Greek people versus their people. That's what we see with Paul and Saul. It's not actually like a big name change that God gave Paul. He just referred to himself differently when he started working with Greek people. And so, uh, but what we do know is this. We know that when it came time to deal with this problem, and they selected people to deal with it, they selected people who were from the community that were being overlooked. And I think that that's, that's really important for us. All right, then the passage ends with telling us that the community then continued to grow. That same line that we see over and over. Nothing was going to stop this growth and this spread. God's plan is moving forward. Uh, but it takes the leadership to be listening to God and responding to situations, dealing with division. All right, so why does this short passage matter? Like, I, I, I skipped over a bunch of stuff that I would actually say is really good as we go through the book of Acts here. Why did I stop on this short little passage here? Well, I think it's good for us to see that the early church faced division. This is not unique to the modern church. This has been happening. They faced potential fights surrounding differences of race and ethnicity. This has been in our past, right? This isn't a new thing. But they quickly saw the problem and they dealt with it. And this is so, so incredibly important, all right? Like, hear this. The early church's diversity was not the problem, all right? That was the good thing. It is how was it supposed to be handled? What, like, the problem was that favor and power started to be controlled by one group over another, that, that was the problem that was happening here. And the response was to bring the underrepresented, overlooked group to the table and have their voice heard. And then move forward to remedy the situation. All right, so I, I have two specific ways that I want us to apply this. Uh, I think that both of these are very actionable steps for us today. Uh, and it's things that the church should be uh, setting the healthy example in for the rest of our world. Okay, so what we see in their context Widows are being overlooked. I don't think we have that exact problem in the same way today. I think that it's still there to some extent. Uh, that's something that we need to look at, that we still are called to be taking care of widows and orphans. But what we can do is say that in this passage, we have a group of people who are overlooked, and that isn't God's desire. God's desire is not for any group to ever be overlooked and to be ignored. So I want to apply this in two ways. The first is uh, sticking with the idea of people who have lost family and need taking care of. Uh, I'm excited that this passage actually kind of fell on Mother's Day for us. I think we love to celebrate moms because for the most part, moms just seem to embody this idea of compassion and caring for people. 
All right, moms have this ability to look, to, look after the family that they're a part of, uh, and many times even look after those that are outside of their family. They have this maternal instinct, is the phrase that we kind of use. They take care of those that need help. Like moms are just, they're good at that. And we love that and celebrate that. But it's not exclusive just to moms. And it shouldn't be. The reality that we see here is that we are all called to embody those same characteristics. All right, what I love about God's plan uh, is that in a way, we are all called to be mothers. Like I'm going to use that as like what we say mothers are, what we, the characteristics that we often apply to mothers. Like all of us, the followers of Jesus are meant to embody those things. All right, like we are meant to, to take those and care for the people that are around us. All right. And I think some people already do this and they aren't necessarily mothers in the biological sense of what we think. And yet they are amazing at caring for people and for having compassion and empathy for drawing people in and, and making them feel loved. And thank you for doing that. You are doing exactly what God has called us to do. All right. And on Mother's Day, if that's you, but you're not a mom, like, I don't want you to feel less at all. Like, I, I would argue that in a way, sometimes it takes more to care for somebody that you are not a biological mother to. And it's this amazing picture that we see of people just kind of uh, embodying what God has called us to do. All right. Uh, I, I love that. Thank you for being willing to step into that role. That's amazing. I want to challenge us with this. We have kids right here in our state, our county, our city, that need people that are willing to come alongside of them and love them and to provide for them and give them a home. In Minnesota, there are roughly 8,600 kids in the foster care system and only 4,150 foster families. In the U.S., it's 424,000 foster kids with 214,000 foster families. So you can kind of see there's a little bit of a, it's about half. Half of the need is currently being met. And there are kids that at no fault of their own don't have a family to take care of them. And maybe they don't have an environment of love. And that, that doesn't mean that every situation, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush here. I know that within foster care, there's a lot of different circumstances and situations happening. But what we can do is we can look at this and we say, there is a need. There's absolutely a need. It's an area that is being overlooked. And in the past week, there's been lots of talk and discussion surrounding children. Uh, and there's been outrage and there's been celebration. All right, and I'm not going to go into that, but I want to share some of the, at least in my friends, on social media, I have people that are falling on both sides of this because I've just lived in our world and I have friends that are in all different places. And some of the, the negative that I see against the church and against Christians is that what they'll say is Christians seem to care greatly about the idea of life in the womb and protecting it, but that Christians don't seem to care as much about life outside of the womb. And I think it's sad to say that this is being said because at times there's some legitimacy to this. All right? And I'm not going into one versus the other or anything like that. Like, but what I want to do here is this. Like, the church 
should be known for caring for people, for loving people, for looking after those that need help. Like that's, that's what we should be known for. I think all of us can always agree on that. All right? In ancient Rome, uh, infanticide was super common. And that, that's, that's the killing of, of babies in the first year or two of life. And it was most often done through something called exposure. What would happen is if a, a baby was born, specifically if there was any uh, birth defects of any type or anything like that, they would actually, in Roman culture, even kind of command this to basically bring your baby to the outside of town, set them down, and walk away. And that, that was just common practice in this day. All right? And what I love is the early church what they were known for is going around the edge of town and picking up these children and caring for them. They would bring them home and they would raise them if they could. And when I say if they could, I mean like if, if the child was still in a spot where they could. Otherwise, they would take them home and they would make them as comfortable as they can in their final moments. Or they would at minimum give a proper burial to the child. Like, I, I think it's amazing that that's what the church was known for back then. Like, that was one of the things that just stood out. And I look at this massive need that we have, this massive need, and I think, why not us? Why not the church? Why can't we come alongside people? Why can't we love kids that need that in this season? I think the modern church could completely alleviate this problem. So I want you to ask yourself this today. This is, this is the first part of our application. How is God asking you to be part of meeting the need of overlooked children? All right, not is God asking you how? Because I think this could play out a lot of different ways. If churches across our nation all began to take it on themselves to love kids that find themselves in the foster program, we could change lives. Could you imagine four 100,000 kids being raised in Christian homes, being shown the love of God. Like, we could, we could change an entire generation. I think the church always wants to say that. Like, let's, let's change the next generation. But I think at times we are all talk. We have opportunities to do that. And we have a few families in our church that have been doing that, both foster and adoption. All right, and so as you leave today... Outside, we have one of those just tall tables, and on there is a few pieces of paper from Lutheran Social Services. It's a specific group that works within the foster care. And I want to encourage you to be praying about this. Maybe this is something God is going to lead you to. Otherwise, what else does it look like for you to care for kids that have been overlooked? That's not the only way we can do it. But what does that look like in your life. And I know this has been on Emily and my hearts for a while, and we are still praying about like what God wants us to do in this and the timing of that and all sorts of different things. All right, and I know I've spoken with other people in our church too, and you've been like, that's just, it's been on my heart and I don't know what to do with it. I want you to grab one of those. You can write on, your, on a connect card and drop it in. We want to talk with you. This is not just go figure this out. We want to, we want to help you if that's what you need. All right. So, because this may sound weird, but we are all called to display the characteristics of what the world would say is maternal. All right, what the world calls maternal, God just calls his way. And that's something that we need to do. 
Here's the other thing I think we, uh, we can and need to apply in this passage, and then we're going to be done. Jerusalem was a melting pot of cultures and ethnicities. The early church was uh, the most diverse community that you could find anywhere at that time. That's actually one of the things that made them stand out. Uh, you had people from all different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different income brackets and statuses sitting together at one table, eating a meal together and living life together. Like that, that, that is not heard of at that time. And I love that when this issue came up, when there was division, the solution wasn't to make two churches, one for the Hellenistic believers and one for the Hebraic believers. That They didn't go that route. It was to work through it together and stay together. And Long Prairie is a unique town when it comes to small towns in the Midwest. We are incredibly diverse. My kids had their spring concert this past Thursday uh, at the school, and as they were doing the spring concert, half of the songs were in English, half of the songs were in Spanish. It was amazing. I loved it. And as a church, we have a unique opportunity that most small-town churches don't have. We actually have the possibility to be incredibly diverse. All right, we aren't there right now. But this is our heart, and we are moving there, and we have made um, steps to, to move in this direction. All right, for us to be diverse, it requires that those of us that are in the majority at times to stop and listen and learn how those in the minority might feel overlooked or how things could be done different to draw them in better. All right, because it, it's going to require us to change things and to institute new things. And, and all sorts of things are done differently in different cultures by different groups. All right, the, the way that people sing or express gratitude, like that is different. The way that people interact with each other, the way that they celebrate holidays, the way that, that people raise their kids, the expectations of those kids in a public setting, like a church service, right? Like depending on your background, you might have an idea of how kids should behave or what should happen with kids during a church service. That's not going to be the same of everybody in the room. Like how do you handle that? Are you okay with that? Or are you just sitting there constantly thinking, oh man, if they would just do things the way I do it. This is important. It will cause things to change that maybe you don't want to change at times. But that's how we love people. And this can mean the obvious ethnic diversity of our church. Uh, but it can, it can mean other areas of diversity as well. This could mean age. It could mean socioeconomically, like what you make, income, like that type of thing. It could mean politically. It could mean spiritually. All right, and you might be asking, like, how is a church supposed to be spiritually diverse? I thought that we were Christians. Yes, yes, we are. That's what we're moving. But what I am saying by that is this. We should be at different spots. If the only people that feel comfortable walking through the doors of our church are people that already have a relationship with Jesus, we're doing this wrong. Like, we need to have spiritual diversity in, this, in the fact that, like, Everyone should be at different places as we move forward and as we're all growing and hopefully moving to a common goal and vision. This, is, this has been what God has been working on my heart on for the last couple of years. And this needs to be our church's heart. But the reality is it can't be our church's heart until it's your heart and it's my heart. 
because we are the church. So for us today, we need to start moving in this direction as individuals. Uh, We'll be moving here as a church. Like I'm telling you, we're already making decisions that are bringing us there, but it can't happen until we do this as individuals. So maybe this is already where you're at, but I think that your heart can be there. Like I, I am, I desperately want my heart to be there. I'm moving in this direction, but we can still be falling short. So here's a question that I want us to ask ourselves. How am I intentionally interacting with people from a different sphere for me? And I'm using sphere on purpose, all right? Because your sphere is everything that is you. So what this could mean, this could mean ethnically. How are you intentionally interacting with people that are different from you? But this could mean politically. All right, it is so much easier to spend time with people that are like us and think like us. But that is not a good thing. All right, socioeconomically, like sometimes we just get, we're friends with certain groups of people because they're in the same stage of life and they kind of do the same things as us. Like, are you, like think about this in your life. Think about your friends. Are you across the board on this? Spiritually. If this is new for you, do you have friends that are, that are strong believers? If you're a strong believer, do you have friends that like they, they're starting to walk into this and trying to figure it out? This could mean age. This is a big one. We love to spend time with people that are in a similar age and stage of life as us. But we need this diversity and we need to do it intentionally. Where in your life do you not just cross paths, but you actually interact with people from a different sphere? And then another step in this one is this. Do my prayers reflect a heart that longs for diversity? Praying for people, specifically not like you. And not just praying that God would make them like you. Oh God, I pray for that person of the other political party. Can you please show them how wrong and stupid they are? Okay, we're laughing because some of you have prayed that. I think this, this goes for all of us. This goes for people that are part of the majority and it goes for people that are part of the minority. Like wherever you're at, you have to intentionally, intentionally be interacting with people. It's easy to like to be in the majority and not want it to change. And it's easy to pull into yourself and your comfort zone when you're in a group that that you feel like a minority. But we need to be intentional. Would you stand with me as we bring this to a close? I want us to begin the process individually of gaining a heart for our entire community. All right, to be in this space in Long Prairie where, where all different people are represented. All right, where communities of all types are coming together as one community. This, this was something that was distinctive of the early church. Nowhere else would you see a, a senator or someone in power sitting with someone who was a slave and eating a meal. That did not happen anywhere except for in the early church. You had people from all different backgrounds sitting down and saying, we're in this together. And they were growing closer together.
I think that often what we need to remember is that we, we might just have one thing in common, and that's a desire to pursue Jesus. But that one thing is bigger and more important than every other thing combined. Like, I think we believe that. Like, yeah, that, that, that's so important, but we don't always live that. We don't treat it that way. You realize you have more in common with someone on the other side of the world that loves Jesus than you do your next door neighbor who grew up in the same town, graduated the same high school, speaks the same language, drives the same car, maybe dated the same girl in high school that you did and voted for the same person in the last election. Like you have more in common with someone on the other side of the world that loves Jesus than with that person if they don't. Do we realize that? Do we live that way? Or do we allow all of these stupid little differences to divide and conquer us? Do we allow those little differences to be driven home and in our mind all of a sudden think that I, mean, I, I have nothing in common with that person that goes to my same church simply because they voted differently for me. We have the most important thing in common. We can't let the enemy divide and conquer. The enemy draws those lines, but honestly, we take care of the rest. Those lines are drawn and we, we drive those home ourselves. So this is where our church needs to go. It's where it's going, and if, if you're part of this community, in a sense, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's where you're going. <laughs> That's what it means to be part of a community. So we have shared responsibilities. And this is one of those moments, and I, I never feel bad saying this. You might be realizing right now, this isn't the community for me. That's fine. Let's talk about it. I'd love to, if that's the, the truth, I'd love to pray over you and just say, that's amazing. Let's find you a community that you're going to be part of then. Because this is where we're going. So I want us just today, like I think this passage, these, these six, seven verses, can just drive home for us the need for those that are overlooked and the need to embrace and to love and to desire diversity because it's what makes us strong and it's what makes us be a light to the rest of the world. God, I, I pray right now, Lord, if there's anything in any of our hearts where we are struggling with some of this, God, that, that you would just speak with us right now, that we would be able to have this conversation. God, that we could bring those struggles to you. We could work through those. God, I pray that we would be a church that could reach all of Long Prairie, all of this area, not just part of it. God, I pray that that would be our desire, that we would truly want to just welcome people in. God, that the pursuit of you would be the biggest, most unifying thing in our lives. Last thing I want to do this morning is just this. I want to pray just over the mothers that are in the room.
Uh, if you are near a mother and you want to put a hand on them, anything like that, go for it. Uh, but I'm just going to pray. I want to pray for uh, just the different stages that I think everybody's in and the different uh, types of situations that are represented in the room. Uh, but would you just, would you pray with me this morning? God, I, I thank you for, for the sacrifices that are represented in this room that people have made. God, we thank you for the mothers that have, um, that have done their absolute best in our lives. God, we pray for those that, that right now are, are struggling with today. And this is hard. And this time right now, as I'm praying, this is difficult. And they are feeling it right now. God, I pray that you would just bring peace. You would bring comfort. You would bring healing in these situations. But God, we pray just a, a blessing over the mothers that are in the room. God, we thank you for them. We thank you for uh, the relationships that they have. God, we pray that they would be an example to their children. God, that we would, we would see kids that are raised in the right way and that when they are old, they would not depart from that as your word says. God, and we just, we thank you for this community that we can come together, we can celebrate, we can grieve, we can do all of this together at the same time. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.